What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a great day. JMV was supposed to come on today. We were, we were going to do a big NFL draft pod, but he ended up having to postpone, so that's hopefully going to come out on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. So today we've got another NBA pod for you. Going to run through the Eastern Conference, and we're going to highlight the new in-season tournament that the NBA approved in the new CBA. It's an absolutely loaded pod. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. So the NBA has finally approved their NBA in-season tournament. This is something that they've been pushing for a while, something that they've wanted to see happen. I don't really know how I feel about it yet. Here's the premise of the tournament. So teams will start in pool play, and then eight will go on to a knockout stage. Players and coaches on the winning team are going to win cash prizes. I believe it's around five hundred grand, which is a lot of money for us, not, not a lot of money for them. But the interesting thing is that the in-season tournament is going to be part of the NBA regular season standings. So teams do have to actually like kind of try while they're trying to play in these games. And then based on their performance in pool play, you know, they'll advance to the knockout stage and things like that. It's really similar to the Champions League, and that's kind of what they've been going for. The NBA came out and said, you know, like this is like a proven thing, like this is going to work. But there's a major difference between the Champions League and what this NBA in-season tournament is going to be. The beauty of the Champions League, the reason why when the Champions League happens, you see high-level soccer from every club, and every club cares so much. The reason why you see that is because they're playing against teams that they don't normally get to play against. It's also not every soccer team in Europe. It's just the four best from the top leagues. That's the very basic version. Some leagues only get like two teams in, but like the, only the top four teams from the Premier League get in. Only like the top four teams from the, from the Bundesliga get in. So on and so forth. And so it's, it's a little bit different. Okay, like the formatting is the same, but I don't believe it'll be as competitive. It won't be as big of a deal as the Champions League simply because it's every team in the NBA. Okay, it's not like it's the best teams, you know, from the European League and the best teams from the French League and then the best teams, you know, from the NBA. Like it's that's not how it's working. It's just the teams in the NBA. And I will say I do like how the in-season tournament games are going to be part of the regular season standings. It just makes sense so that teams can't just like mail it in during this, you know, two or three week period in case they don't care about it. You know, maybe you know the Warriors next year were like, "You know what? We're going to treat this in-season tournament the same way that we treated the regular season last year. We're just going to kind of coast through it. If we win, cool. If not, that's fine as long as we make the playoffs. We can turn it on then. That isn't as much of an option with these games being a part of the NBA standings. But once again, the idea of it trying to be like the Champions League, that is just such a hard thing to accomplish because the NBA players aren't going to care anywhere near as much as these Champions Champions League players do because part of the draw of the Champions League is you get to watch teams play against other teams that they don't normally play. Okay, like Liverpool doesn't usually play Real Madrid. So whenever, you know, these Liverpool guys and these Real Madrid guys, you know, line up to play in this match, this may be their only opportunity to ever play against 
the opposing club. Man City, they don't get to play Bayern Munich every year. That's just that is that's not how it works. And so it's really special because you get to see these teams play against other teams that you don't normally get to see. And so because of that, we get to see players play against each other that we don't normally get to see. Like we get to see in theory, I know it hasn't happened in a few years. In theory, every year, at least twice a year, we should see LeBron James play against Kevin Durant. We should see Joel Embiid play against Jokic at least twice a year. We should see Kawhi Leonard take on Damian Lillard four times a year. So on and so forth. And because of that, whenever we see it, it's just not as big of a deal. Whereas with the Champions League, man, I mean, I get to watch Robert Robert Lewandowski play against Mo Salah? Sign me up for that. I want to see that. You mean I, I get to see Virgil van Dyke? Try and defend Messi. Sign me up for that. I, I I may never get to see that again. So part of the draw to the Champions League is just the exclusivity of it. How it doesn't happen very often. It's a really special thing. If you're not into European soccer, check out the Champions League. It's where it's at. It's awesome. I love it. It's one of the best sporting events every year. It's incredible. So I don't think this is going to work as well as the NBA thinks that it will. The idea of playing for money is cool. I don't think it's enough money for the stars to really want to show up and win. You know, for the 12th guy on the bench, like I'm sure he's jazzed up for 500k. But for the guys who you want to be engaged, it's just simply not enough money. So, we'll see how it goes. You know, I I I could be wrong. Maybe you know, the players love this and they're super engaged and they're super excited about it and you know, guys are playing hard and they're diving on the floor for loose balls and all that type of stuff. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, it is yet to be seen. Moving on to the other parts of the CBA. One thing that I, I can't believe wasn't a part of the CBA was the decrease in games. I just I, I find that really hard to believe now with this play-in tournament. Two final teams are going to play 83 games. They're, they're going to play an extra game. Just doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay, I, I get that, you know, the more games you have, the more money you can make and things like that. But at the same time, the product of the NBA just isn't as good when guys aren't playing consistently. And look, the NFL is proof that you don't need to play 80 games in a season to make money. They play, you know, what the Super Bowl winning team plays, what, 22 games, 21 games? Somewhere in there a little over 20 games, and they make as much money, if not more money, than everybody. You know, if you have less games, you can just charge more per game on your TV rights. But that can only happen if you can get guys to play games. So it was really kind of surprised that the CBA didn't make a push there to lower the number of games. Moving on to the final thing. NBA All, all, all NBA teams are now positionless. Why? I I don't like this. I think this is dumb. I think it's dumb. The entire point of the All-NBA team is to see who the best players at specific positions are. That's, like, that's the best option. Okay, now I've heard some different theories kind of thrown out for this. I really enjoy Nick Wright's theory. You know, the first team and second team All-NBA teams 
should be, you know, normal, you know, two guards, three forwards, just just like it's been for forever. And then the third team should just be like the best remaining players. I don't mind that. I also kind of like the idea of having it set up where you have to have at least one guard and one center. And then the other three positions can be filled with whatever, because that's what basketball is now. Right? You have your lead guard, usually have some kind of big guy, and then you've got like three forwards or you're mixing and matching. So even if it was set up like that, I would be a fan of it. But now... I mean, you can throw five centers on your first on your All NBA first team. Like that's ridiculous. That's dumb. It's not the way basketball's played. And the All NBA team should reflect the way the basketball is being played. And moving it to positionless, I just it's dumb because like as of like as of right now, as of right now, if this was in effect this year, there'd be two centers on the first team All All NBA squad. When in the past five years have we seen two centers on the floor at the same time? We haven't. So why in the world should they both be on first team all NBA? I don't, I just, I don't like this. It's dumb. It doesn't reflect the way basketball is played. And I believe that all NBA teams should reflect the way that basketball is being played. On top of that, the positionless thing applies to the MVP. Right, because the all the all NBA teams are supposed to reflect who the best players in the league are. Does the MVP voting not do that? That's positionless. They release the top five vote getters every single year. So like what's even the point in having a first team all NBA now? Because in theory, the first team all NBA players should reflect the top five vote getters for the MVP award. So what's even the point? I don't know. I don't like it. I hope they change it back at some point. Because this just it doesn't reflect the way the basketball's played. And that's what the All-NBA teams should do. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to break down the Eastern Conference. We did the Western Conference on Wednesday. So today we're going to do the Eastern Conference. Really excited for it. Cannot wait to get into it. We'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt going to highlight the NBA Eastern Conference standings. The 10 teams who will be in the playing game slash playoffs are set in stone. Here we go. So let's start at the top. I'm going to try and quickly run through these top three teams because I feel like I've been talking about them a lot. Every time you turn on ESPN, Fox, whatever, you listen to some other podcasts, they're talking about the Bucks, the Celtics, and the 76ers because they're the top three seeds and they look like the three best teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, the Bucks have clinched the one seed. Boston's pretty much set in at the two seed. And the Philadelphia 76ers are set in at the three seed. And, look, I, I think Milwaukee and Boston are both heads and shoulders better than everybody else in this conference. I don't think Philadelphia is quite deep enough. They're really inconsistent. The only guy off their bench that is trustworthy even a little bit, is is Anthony Melton. He's 24 years old, and he hasn't been shooting the ball super great here recently. So, I like Boston and Milwaukee's depth. That's why I think they're the two best teams. I um, also like their second and third options more than I like Phillies. Sorry, James Harden. Don't trust you in the playoffs. Sorry, Tobias Harris. You're a good player, and that's about it. You're not as good as Drew Holiday, and you're not as good as 
you know, just the multitude of third options that Boston has, whether it's Al Horford or, um, oh my gosh, Blanken. Anyway, okay, this is going to bother me. What is his name? Derek White, that's his name. Jeez, Derek White, who went crazy the other night against the 76ers, overshadowed because Embiid went for 52, but that's besides the point. Like, there's a reason why Boston has beat Philly three times this year. It's because they're they're just better than Philly is. Okay, and it took a 52-point performance from Embiid in order for them to not get swept by Boston in the regular season. Okay, Boston, Milwaukee, both heads and shoulders better than Philly. And then I think Philly is a step above the rest of these teams. I really like Cleveland. Straight up. I really, really like this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Donovan Mitchell has taken his game to a whole nother level. Five straight games with 40 points. He can just score. I mean, he's just he's an excellent scorer of the basketball. Uh, you know, they still have Khalil Garland, who I love. Mobley's improved a little bit this year. Defensively, they are tall. They're long between Mobley and Jarrett Allen underneath. I mean, they're tough. Love the way that this team defends. I just it is hard not to like this Cleveland Cavaliers team. And I think they're gonna give the Bucks all that the Bucks can handle. Because I'm assuming that the Cavs will indeed beat the Knicks. Who have been good this year. You know, Jalen Brunson's been awesome. I wouldn't say that he's been a surprise, but I would say that he has exceeded expectations just with his scoring ability, you know, his ability to get you to the free throw line. Is it annoying? Yes. Is it a skill though? But as much as he does it, I think you have to say yes. Julius Randle looks much closer to the guy he was two years ago versus last year. R.J. Barrett's becoming a little bit more consistent. You know, it's Tom Thibodeau coach, so you know those guys defend. This Knicks team, they're a lot of fun. It's good for basketball when the Knicks are good. They're good this year. They're in the playoffs. I just don't think they have as much talent as Cleveland or any of the other teams above them. But the Knicks are fun. Like, when the Knicks are on TV, I'm like, hey, like I'll, I'll watch them play. You know, I'll sit here in agony as I watch Jalen Brunson, you know, the guy who should be Lucas' second option. I'll sit here in agony as I watch him tear up defenses. I mean, man, he's just, he's been so good for them this year. The Knicks are fun. So the Nets currently are holding on to sixth place in the Eastern Conference. The Heat, though, right on their tail, only a game back. Not too, too sure who holds the tiebreaker in that one. But the Nets are going to be tough on whoever they play because they have a whole bunch of wings who can play defense. they got a whole bunch of guys who can shoot it. And Mikal Bridges offensively is so much better than I think anybody expected. You know, he's had some duds here and there, but he's also had some games where he's gone for like 45. Okay, they've got Spencer Dinwiddie as well who can score the basketball. Like there's a lot of depth at the wing position on that roster, a lot of guys who can play defense, and a lot of guys who can knock down open threes. And when you have that... You know, you have, you know, two or three nights where you shoot really well from three and you win those games, you can put a lot of pressure on a higher seed. So the Nets, I think, are going to be a really tough out with whoever they end up playing in the playoffs. The Heat are currently the seventh seed. You know, they've kind of been up and down. And, like, people really like Miami. People really like Eric Spolstra. I personally like Jimmy Butler. But outside of the Nets, when you look at seeds one through five, and you compare them to the Heat, the Heat just don't have the talent. They don't. They're the Miami undrafted players. That's what they are. 
every guy on that roster, outside of Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, is undrafted. That's what it feels like, at least. And I feel like they just lack the talent to compete with any of those teams that are higher than them. As good of a coach as Eric Spolstra is, as good of a as good of a number one option as Jimmy Butler is, everybody else on that roster is just lacking. Hey, Bam Adebayo, you know he's he does a lot of good stuff for them offensively, but he's not an elite offensive player. Tyler Hero, he has stretches where he looks really good offensively, but ultimately he's just like a good offensive player. Like, that's it. Outside of Jimmy Butler, there's no legitimate, consistent option on offense. And that's what that's what they need. And for some reason, they haven't gone out in free agency and tried to sign anybody. It's Miami. They should be able to sign whoever they want. We've seen them do it before. We've seen them go out and get LeBron James and Chris Bosh. If you can land those two guys, certainly you can land, you know, Paul George or, or whoever. Whoever pops up in free agency that you feel like would be a good fit alongside the rest of your roster. And, you know, people keep talking about heat culture this and heat culture that. And, oh, the culture's so good down there. And culture matters. And does it matter? Does it? I mean, I'm sitting over here. I'm watching the Lakers throw together guys at the trade deadline. And they're better than Miami. Because you can have as good a culture as you want. It doesn't matter if you don't have the players to go out and score. And get stops. And Miami just flat out does not have that. In eighth, the Hawks are currently sitting there. That's really interesting. They brought in Dan Snyder. And it's just, it's so interesting to watch them play now. Trey Young has the ball less. So whenever he gets the ball, he feels like he has to shoot. Murray is playing really well, initiating more of the offense. Which look, like, between Murray and Trey Young... Trey Young needs to be off the ball. He's the better shooter. He's the guy who can spot. He's the guy who can spot shoot. I mean, it makes sense. I like what Snyder's doing, but you can tell Trey Young is not a fan, to say the least. In eighth, you've got or ninth, excuse me, you've got the Toronto Raptors sitting at forty and forty on the season. They're cool. Pascal Siakam's having a good year. Nick Nurse is a really good head coach. Fred Van Fleet's you know playing well. OG Ananobi. You know, still a Raptor. He wasn't dealt before the trade deadline. They're cool. I don't really have much else to say about them. And then in 10th, the Bulls. Looks like they they are going to be the 10th seed. They're fun. You know, they've got DeMar DeRozan. You've got Zach Levine. They've got guys who can really score the basketball. They've got guys who can defend. They're going to be tough. But ultimately the top-end talent just isn't as good as everybody else. They're in a really similar position to the Miami Heat, right, where they've got some decent role players and things like that, but the top-end talent just isn't as good as Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, or Cleveland. Which is, you know, to be expected out of a 10 seed. So, to come out of the East, if I had to pick today, I, I would take... Probably, probably, mm, part of me really wants to take Boston because they're just, they're built so perfectly to deal with Milwaukee. But at the same time, Milwaukee is the best player in the world. And it's, I don't like betting against the best player in the world. Unless it's LeBron James in the finals. Hell! <laughs> sorry, that was too easy. I had to, I had to do that. I'm sorry. I apologize. 
Um, yeah, I, as of today, I, I I think I would take Milwaukee. We'll see though. There's still you know a couple games left in the regular season. We'll see how they look in the playoffs. It's going to be fun. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Um, you know, I had to adjust here on the fly, so I, I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, hoping to have JMV here with me either on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Super excited to have him on. It's going to be great. Cannot wait. For- Once again, I hope you enjoy the show, and I will talk to you all again on Tuesday or Wednesday. Wednesday.